Well, this morning I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the gifts of the Magi, or Magi, depending how you like to pronounce it. Sometimes in your translations they'll be referred to as the wise men, sometimes they'll be referred to as kings. These guys, whoever they were, we're going to look at them, we're going to look at their gifts, and see what the message might be for us from that. But I want to start way back in an Old Testament prophet, first of all, in the book of Micah. Back in those days, way back in the times of these guys like Micah and, and Jeremiah and Nehemiah and all those prophets, and especially those, we call them the minor prophets, those small, small number of page books in the back of the Bible, God spoke through the prophetic, through these men. And this was approximately 750 years or so before the birth of Christ. And here's what this prophet said. But it's for you, Bethlehem Ephrata. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Over 700 years before the birth of Christ, it was prophesied that he would be born, that he was an eternal being, even though he was going to be born as a child, and that he was going to be born in this little tiny insignificant village of Bethlehem. And there were a few other prophets for two, three hundred more years that spoke. And then at the end of the Old Testament, there's a book called Malachi. And Malachi, he prophesied the word of the Lord about 400, 430 B.C. And I tell you that simply to make this point. After that, God got very silent to his people speaking through his prophets. And for 400 years, approximately 400 years, God was quiet. And his people were living lives a little bit like a roller coaster, but mostly bad. And occasionally they would come back a little bit and then they'd get bad again. And it brings us up to John the Baptist in the New Testament, but actually the last of those Old Testament prophets. And in... Matthew chapter 2, we see the story that I'm going to focus on this morning. In Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and I'm just going to read and you can follow along. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men or magi from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. King Herod was an evil king. He was so threatened by his throne being taken from someone else, he literally murdered his wife and some of his sons. So you can imagine when somebody came looking for the king of the Jews, it disturbed him greatly. So much so that the people were afraid of him, that it goes on there and says, and as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come forth from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. 
And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him also. After this interview with the wise men, they went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child now was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until, you, until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, and he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, and he returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judah was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in another dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. And just reading that section of scripture, we come across at least three or four major prophetic fulfillments that had to take place for the word of God to be considered totally accurate. And the odds of even just those four, that he would come out of Egypt, that he would be a Nazarene, that all of these things would take place. The odds are insurmountable that they could happen in one man, but God orchestrated this and used all of the events that were taking place to do just that. We see the Magi. These Magi, they were, they were a cast of wise men. They were, they were astrology, studies of, studies of astrology and of medicine and the natural sciences. And we don't know a terrible lot about the Magi. We don't know for sure even how did they know that they should follow this star? How did they know that this star was going to lead them to the king of the Jews? Now there's different speculations. You know, during the, their time when the, the Jewish people would sin and turn away from God, they would often be taken captive into other countries. And some of the thought is, well, maybe in those other countries they, they heard about this as they studied and, 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 and the Jewish people shared some of their beliefs with these wise men who would want to have knowledge. Some people think they might look at the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17. It says this, and this is being spoken from a prophet. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. 
A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. But we don't know exactly for sure how they knew what they knew. And it's interesting to me that they seem to know more than Jewish people of the day, especially King Herod. I want to look at the setting first, because most of us have an inaccurate picture in our mind of the birth of Jesus. For a whole lot of reasons. One, the picture we have in our mind makes for a beautiful manger scene, the one like we had up here. But when we look in the Word of God, we don't know a whole lot, and what we do know isn't in that picture that we always see. When you look at that picture, there's a picture of a little gathering with Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus, we got a few sheep, we got a cow, we got some camels, we got some shepherds, we got some kings, shoot, we even got a couple angels, one floating around just watching and one playing a trumpet. It wasn't like that. That's not what the Bible says. We may have seen it on TV programs, we may have seen it in, in plays that make great stories, but it really wasn't like that. And I want us to get a picture of what the setting was maybe really like instead of what we have been told or believed and, and think it might have looked like. What we do know for sure, it was in Bethlehem. But we need to understand Bethlehem was a region, not necessarily just a little village. We do know that Mary and Joseph and the baby were there. And we do know that shepherds came after angels came and gave them the news. But that's all we know. That's all we know. Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, some shepherds in a manger in the region of Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, if you read the, the birth of Jesus in, chap, in, in the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that. Luke then goes on and tells us that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as a Jewish baby would have been. And then it tells us that he was dedicated at the temple and he met a couple of people there. And then it jumps to when he was like 12 years old and his parents brought him to Jerusalem again. And if you remember the story, he stayed behind and they got worried where he was. And he was there talking with the religious leaders. And then it jumps to when he was about 30 years old. That's all we know in the Gospel of Luke. There's nothing about the Magi, nothing about the wise men being present at all. In the Gospel of Mark, we don't see anything about the birth of Christ. In the Gospel of Mark, it starts with the baptism of Jesus. So we learn nothing from Mark. And when we look at the Gospel of John, we see, as we talked about last week, it deals with the, the divinity and the incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with John, and the Word blah, 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 blah. With God, not with John. Some of you caught that. And then in the Gospel of John, we, 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 we see a little bit of development um, after the incarnation of John the Baptist's role. And then it jumps to Jesus' public ministry. That's it. Nothing more is told in the Gospel of John. And then we come to the Gospel of Matthew, which I just read. And as we read there in the Gospel of Matthew, we know he was born in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, which was to fulfill prophecy. And he got to Bethlehem because that wasn't where, he, where Mary and Joseph lived. You know the story. 
there was a census that was declared and they had to travel to the hometown of their distant relative David. And that was the town of Bethlehem. That's how God got Mary and Joseph into that little village of Bethlehem. And we know he was born in a manger. And we do know that wise men arrive from Jerusalem, or into Jerusalem. That's where they first came. And we know that they went and talked to King Herod. And I told you a little bit about Herod, but if you want to read about an evil man, read about King Herod. He was threatened by everything. He was worried about losing his power, his, his position as king. He literally did kill, murder, sons, his wife. So you can imagine when these travelers, these magi, these wise men come and they get, actually, they get to Herod himself and they say, we're here to find the king of the Jews. Can you help us out? You can imagine Herod being upset. And he was so evil, again, you can imagine the people worrying about, my goodness, Herod's going to go nuts. Who's he going to kill now? But he, he has a plan. He's, he's evil. He's conniving. And it says he has a private meeting. A private meeting with these magi. He meets with them and he wants to know something very specific. He wants to know, when did you first see the star? Why would he want to know that? So he would know approximately how old this child might be if the star really first appeared at the child's birth. Because we don't know exactly where these wise men came from, but they traveled a long distance. Probably in a large caravan of camels and servants. And he wanted to know exactly when they first saw the star. And we know that he had a meeting with the scribes and the religious leaders to find out Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was not very far from Jerusalem. So we know the story. He sent them. And he said, please, when you worship the child, come back and tell me exactly where you find him. And we know the story that we just read. He wanted to know where the child was, approximately when he was born, so he could go and kill all the kids. And that's exactly what he did. The wise men must have told Herod they had seen the star approximately two years before. Because he went to had the, his edict was go and kill all the male babies under two years of age in the region of Bethlehem. And that's what happened. But God had already warned Joseph. And they were already getting ready to go or gone to Egypt. And it's interesting to me, when you look at the story, you'd sometimes think, God, God, wouldn't it have been great if you'd given us a lot more detail? I would like to know more. I would like to have some specifics and details here. And then it's almost equally as interesting when you look at what he bothers telling us. What gets recorded in the Scripture. And it tells us that everything in the Word of God is of value. It's worthy of study. It, it gives us pictures and forms of things. It gives us types and shadows. gives us truths and promises. And one of the things that it clearly tells us is that these wise men, however many there were, you know, my opening slide with the title really misleads us. We assume there were three. We have no idea how many there really were. We assume there was three because 
three gifts are mentioned. And it's interesting to me, he doesn't tell us all that other stuff, but he tells us the gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If it's in the Bible to be read thousands of years later, it makes me wonder, there must be more significance to it than to know that they were just presents brought to a baby. And when we look at this, we notice something else. When they presented the gifts, we focus on three, but I'll I'll close the message with the fourth gift. I think it's the most important gift they brought. And it was their worship. It says, they gave him the gifts, and then they knelt down and worshipped God. Now, can you imagine? Put yourself in Mary and Joseph's place for just a moment. We read in the story that they were in a house, not a manger. Herod had killed the babies under two years of age, so we don't know for sure how old Jesus was, but it's not the same word for baby, it's child. Two distinctly different words. So they go to this house, and they come in and see the baby. And can you imagine Mary and Joseph? We know they were poor. And all of a sudden, they open these gifts, treasure chests filled with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, after Mary is told all these things that are going to take place, it says, wow, she kept all of these and pondered them in her heart. I can't help but think she probably did the same thing after the gifts and the visit of the Magi. Lord, what does all this mean? All of a sudden, we've got gold these valuable frankincense, extremely valuable myrrh. What does it all mean? Well, I want to focus on the gifts for a little while. And we'll start with the gold. Gold was symbolic of royalty, symbolic of a king. It represented the fact that Jesus was royalty. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, For a child, this is by a prophet written hundreds and hundreds of years before. He says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Think about those names, the deity of this baby. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The zeal of God will cause this to happen. He will rule. He will reign. He will will be the one that will be the eternal king. And as this gold is presented and given to him, it gives us a picture of that divine God, this eternal king, an everlasting kingdom. Not an earthly kingdom that will fade away, but an everlasting kingdom. It's revealing to us his deity. His name will be mighty God, and yet he will be a baby. The prince of peace. He's eternal. He will be holy, holy. 
and righteous. Holy so that he could be that perfect, innocent lamb that would be sacrificed. He will return. That ought to catch our attention. He is going to be the eternal king. Though he returned to the Father and is seated right hand of God, and the Holy Spirit is now present in the earth today, there is a day when Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church. And there is coming a day where he will rule. We will all be judged. It's a day that the scripture says we need to be ready for and watchful for because he is returning. The gold represents his kingship. Second, the frankincense. I just like saying that. Frankincense. The frankincense was a very aromatic resin from a tree. And it was used in sacrifices and offerings to God. If, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, when we're laying out all of this stuff of how they were to worship in the temple or in the tabernacle, you might remember that frankincense was part of the, the recipe, so to speak, of the perfume of the sanctuary. When it would be burnt with the ad- animals, the sacrifices, the offerings, the incense would give off this sweet, sweet fragrance that would ascend to God, giving us a picture of worshiping God. So frankincense and this incense being, being burnt was to symbolize and to represent worshiping God. So when they give him frankincense, it's acknowledging that this baby, though he be an infant, this child, however old he is, he is really God also. The incense also tells us of his sacrifice. There's a scripture, a couple of scriptures I want to read, one in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. See the imagery. The frankincense presented to him as a small child by the wise men. An incense burned in the temple worship, ascending to the Father. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned in his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not even open up his mouth. When Jesus died on that cross, he became the sacrificial lamb. The sins of the world, your sins and my sins, he took them. He became sin on our behalf. And Jesus' willingness to lay down his life for us rose if you would, as a sweet offering to the Father. A picture given all those many, many, many years ago in the gift of the Magi, frankincense. Represents his divinity, but it also represents his sacrifice. And the gold, his kingship. And the third gift was myrrh. Myrrh is the white gum, kind of a white sticky gum that will harden, also of a tree. Myrrh was extremely valuable. 
extremely aromatic. It was used for a lot of different things by those that could afford it. But one of the most common uses of myrrh was the myrrh would be put on the grave cloths when they put you in the tomb. And you can understand why. That myrrh covering up the odor of a decaying body. So here he is, this young child with his mother. And one of the gifts is myrrh. Showing us, giving us this picture of Jesus. Death and burial. In John chapter 19, verse 38, it says, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but he was a secret disciple because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by a man named Nicodemus, who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought along a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds worth. The myrrh, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. The myrrh, it seems to symbolize the death, the suffering, and the burial of Jesus. But for us, looking back on the events of the cross, it also should be a representation for us of his resurrection, that the grave couldn't hold him. And as I mentioned earlier, the fourth and greatest gift. It amazes me when I think of this story that here the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It had been prophesied for hundreds of years. Their expectations, you would think, would have always been great. And they were, but they'd lost focus their understanding of what the Messiah would be like. Here they are in this little town of Bethlehem, only a few miles from Jerusalem, the religious center of the Jews, and the ones that were concerned with coming to worship Him were foreigners from another land. And those shepherds who had received the news out in the hills. You would have thought when those scribes and Pharisees, those religious leaders that Herod had called together and, and said, tell them, where is he supposed to be born? And they knew. In Bethlehem. And they've seen this star in Bethlehem. You would think they'd have put one and one together and decided, let's follow these guys. We can go also and see the Messiah, the King of the Jews. But nobody did. And the Magi worshipped him. Matthew 2.11, they entered the house, saw the child, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And if you think about that, it is the only reasonable response that any human being should have in the presence of the king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. A song that most of us maybe know um, but it might be like some of the songs that we sing at Christmas. We go, oh, wow, I didn't know that verse was in there. There's a song called We Three Kings. The title, who knows? 
But I want to read a couple of three verses to you and see how clearly these verses align with what I've just shared. And I realize it was a song written by men. It's not scripture. But it says this, Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, Gold I bring to crown him again, King forever, ceasing never, Over us all to reign. The eternal king. Frankincense to offer have I, Incense owns a deity nigh. He's divine, he's God. Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him, God on high. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume, breathes the life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. And then the last verse. Glorious now, behold him arise. King and God and sacrifice. Sound, alleluia, alleluia, sounds through the earth and skies. When we look at this story of Christmas and what we celebrate as we remember Christmas, the gold and frankincense and myrrh can give us a, a picture of who this baby really was. The Son of God, God in the flesh, an eternal king come to earth, a savior of the world, Lord of lords, a sacrifice who went to the cross but was raised from the dead. And for all who receive him, he's the king of kings. Close with this scripture that I read in Matthew 2, verse 12, and I'm going to tweak the understanding of it just a little bit. But it said at the end of that story that we read about the Magi, it said when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another way. In other words, they left different than the way they came. And this should be true of everybody who has had a personal experience and relationship with Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge that this little baby born in this manger 2,000 years ago was God in the flesh, that he was holy and righteous, and that he went to a cross and died for a people who were not holy and righteous. He died for me and he died for you. And he offered up his life, and it was a pleasing sacrifice to the Father. When it was, when it was done, it was finished. It was over. Our sin issue was dealt with through the cross. And for each and every single one of us, that gift is offered freely at great expense to God, free to us, to accept Jesus as the sacrifice who died in my place. To acknowledge that, yes, I am a sinner and I needed a Savior. There was nothing I could do to restore the relationship with God in my own strength. It was impossible. And I acknowledge that Jesus was God in the flesh and he died for my, my sins. And we need to repent and turn away from those sins and accept that gift of salvation through Christ. And when we do, we would, should be like those wise men and we should leave changed 
the Bible tells us we are born again. We are new creations in Christ. And really, that's the message of Christmas. God in the flesh. The greatest gift ever. Made available to each one. Now, I know we're going to, most of us, celebrate Christmas in the next few days. Some of you have already started. And I'm pretty certain that every gift that you might have had, either under that tree or hidden in that closet, when you bring it out and you read the name on it and you offer it to the person whose name is on it, they are going to take that gift and they are going to open that thing and it's going to be theirs. And if you have some that don't want them, just send them our way. But I'm pretty sure that won't happen. But you know what? It is amazing how many people our Heavenly Father holds out the gift of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, and says, Here, your name is on this package. Please take it. And many, many don't. We say, No thanks. Later. I don't like the color of the wrapping paper. Whatever it is. Our prayer today is that you would receive that gift if you've never received it. That you would say, today's my day. Thank you, God, that I can be born again by the Spirit of God, become a new creation in Christ, and call you Father, and it really be true. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you and praise you for the Christmas story. God, we thank you for all that we could see in the Old Testament that pointed to Christ all the prophecies that came true. God, that with any honest study of your word, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this Jesus born in a manger was you coming in the flesh. And we see your life to a cross on a hill called Calvary where you died for us that we might receive that gift of salvation. That baby who grew into a man and died for us. Lord, I pray for each one of us here that if there's anyone who has never received that gift, today's the day they'd receive it. And just cry out to you and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Thank you that Jesus died on my behalf. I surrender my life to you. And you'll walk away forever changed by the power of God. Lord, I pray now that you would go before us, that you would watch over us, that you would protect us, keep us safe in all the traveling that will be taking place in the next days and the next weeks. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.